First, our Old... No, not our Old Testament. We're going to be reading from the Old Testament in a minute. First, our Gospel reading is from John chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. This comes um, at a time when people have brought Jesus before Pilate, and they are shouting to crucify him. And he even asks, shall I crucify your king? And they say, we have no king but Caesar. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us as we read this morning, as we listen this morning to your word. I pray that you would help us to hear uh, what it is that you are saying to us. Lord, that we would come to know better who it is that you are, who it is that you have created us to be, what it means for us to be in a loving and trusting relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this morning you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are ready to be changed in whatever areas they need to be changed, that we would more and more reflect you into this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. Finally, uh, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Turning then to our New Testament reading, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. This is in that uh, chapter uh, where it is depicted what it looks like to live by faith. And you see in verses 17 through 19, it's this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we are looking at uh, the passage that you you know what's coming. (laughs) Uh, If you're paying attention during the children's sermon, uh, if you were paying attention during these uh, gospel readings and New Testament readings, we know what's coming. This is a story of a time of testing in Abraham's life that is uh, one that I think we all would hope to never go through. But it's a time of testing that comes at a particular time in Abraham's life, and I think that's important for us to note. Uh, we're going to read this in just a second, but before we even read it, I just want you to remember, when God called Abraham, he called him not to go sacrifice his son. He called him uh, to leave his family, to go to the place that God was going to show him. And he made promises to him that he was going to be a blessing and that, uh, to all nations of earth, that God was going to bless everyone through Abraham. Uh, this, I think, is important. That was kind of step one 
And what we're about to read was not step two or three or four. (laughs) But Abraham has been walking with God and learning what it means to walk with God and to uh, get to know who this God is and how God is different than he might have guessed him to be, thought him to be, wondered if he might be that way. What he'd heard from maybe some of the neighbors that he's interacted with as to what God might be like. And Abraham has continued to have this relationship with God, sometimes trusting him. (laughs) And uh, you can see Abraham doing things that really do reflect the character of God in his interactions with others. Other times, not trusting him and getting afraid and turning away and doing things that instead of bringing blessing, end up bringing curse to his neighbors. And we've seen this as we go through Genesis 12 through 21. And then it's over and over, uh, Abraham sometimes making the right uh, steps along the way and sometimes making the wrong steps along the way. And as we have gone through this, we've talked about how encouraging that is to see that God is actually working with a real person (laughs) who sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong. I don't know if you can relate to that, but come on. (laughs) That's what people do. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. And Abraham is a people. And so he, uh, in his walk with God, same kind of thing. So it's after that, after he's been doing this for quite a while, that we find Genesis chapter 22, where we do get this test. Even with all that said, it's still going to sound pretty horrible. Here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz's brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also had sons, Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. That last section is for those of you looking for baby names. <laughs> that last section is actually there because of what's coming two chapters from now, and so you're supposed to still have that uh, in your head when we, when we get there. So now you know. As I said, I mentioned before we read it that you know, this is not step one in Abraham's walk with God, and yet, even with that in mind, that this still sounds pretty horrible. Uh, does anybody else find that this sounds horrible to you as you read this? I hope so. If not, then you are victim of uh, what some have called the lullaby effect, where you've heard the story so many times that it just becomes part of the background. And so you're like, oh, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son, and Abraham does, and everything's great. And what amazing faith Abraham has. And Wait, <laughs> have you really missed... Uh, the the emotional uh, life ending gravity of the situation that's here, the uh, the relational distress that is caused. Abraham has been uh, promised a son and descendants, many descendants, and we've talked about you know the ups and downs of Abraham's walk with God. Uh, did you notice when it first when God first called, comes to him here, he says, Abraham, here I am. He replied, and God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. You catch the reference? Is Isaac Abraham's only son? <laughs> what happened before? If we start the story here, we go, okay, this is his only son. No, the, if we've been following along with the story... This is very uh, specifically focused on this person of Isaac for a reason. And one reason, if God had said at this point, take your son and sacrifice him, it's like, okay, I think I know which one I'll pick. And I say that because in the last chapter, that's exactly what just happened. Abraham just sent his other son, Ishmael, and his mother, Hagar, out into the wilderness, I don't know, maybe to die cutting them off, sending them away, done with them. And as we read that story, we saw the kind of emotional distress from Hagar. We saw the physical distress of uh, Ishmael. I don't know about you, I didn't really sense much emotional distress from Abraham over that one. This is a different story. Now it is uh, not just, you know, some descendant of yours. This is 
Isaac. This is the one that you love. This is the one that is actually the son of the promise. This is the one that came because you were trusting in me, not because you were not trusting in me. That's the one that I want you to sacrifice. This is, as I mentioned, it's horrible (laughs) Uh, to even consider that kind of a request for us. But if we think about where Abraham was, when he was living, what the common practice is in the area of all these pagan religions that he's rubbing shoulders with, this is what it was. It would not have been a surprise for uh, the gods to request child sacrifice. That was common practice. Now, for Abraham, things are a little different because he's a lot older than most people are when they have kids, and he only has Isaac now as the one through whom God has made promises to bless the whole world. And so this request for child sacrifice may not have been as surprising to Abraham as it would be for us. But that's because we're living on the other side of Abraham. We have a whole Bible to read. How much of the Bible did Abraham have to read at this point? None. (laughs) Right? He's not reading. This is coming from his relationship and his walk with God. His conversations with his neighbors. And so when he hears this call to sacrifice his son, okay, I guess that's who God is. Just like all these other gods of these other places. Now, one of the main things that we're uh, seeing as we go through this story and that Abraham is to learn as a result of this story is that God is not like the gods of the other nations. He's not like these uh, idols and these pagan gods that uh, others worship. But the whole point of the story is that God is not actually wanting Abraham to sacrifice his son But he doesn't just tell him this. He hasn't experienced this because it's actually backwards. It's that God is going to sacrifice his son for us. That's one of the main things that we see going through here. But the other part of it, this is, as I mentioned, this is the test. That's how the whole thing is set up. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And the way tests tend to work is first you have all the instruction, you have all the learning, and then, okay, well, let's see. This is what the test is. Let's see if you're actually learning it. (laughs) And so Abraham has been walking with God and learning who God is, learning that God can be trusted. Okay, well, let's see if you've learned this. I'm going to ask you to do what is probably the hardest and most unthinkable thing for you. Would you trust me in that? And this is one of those moments where Abraham actually gets it right. And it's weird that we're looking at this and going, so, you know, I have to pause here again just as a reminder, once again, just because we see somebody in the Bible do something does not mean that's what we're supposed to copy. So we see that Abraham goes and takes his son to sacrifice him, and we're like, okay, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. This is the time my pastor said, this is when Abraham got it right, was when he took his son to sacrifice him, so here we go. Uh, No, the way that Abraham got it right is by actually uh, listening and obeying the word of God. Uh, So when God has asked him to do this, 
then he says, okay, then I trust you. I trust that you know better. And in fact, as we read in Hebrews, Abraham doesn't know where this is going. But he knows God has told him two things that he can't put together. He said, I'm going to bless all the nations and give you so many descendants. It's all going to be through Isaac. And he's also said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham is like, I don't know. I don't know how those two things go together, but I believe both. I believe God knows what he's talking about. He sees this in a way that I don't see it. And so if it's going to actually be that the promise is all going to come through Isaac, then God must have a plan for that, even though he's calling me to do something that looks like it's going to put an end to that plan. And so the way that the author of Hebrews says it is that Abraham believed that, you know, God must be going to raise Isaac from the dead. Like, I'll sacrifice him, and then somehow he's going to bring him back, I guess. I don't know. But somehow, I know God's going to be faithful to his word. That even though he's calling me to do this right now, which looks like he's going to put an end to it, I know he's still going to be faithful. That he's still going uh, to bless the world through Isaac. So here we go. So he goes on, and we have recorded one of the most awkward conversations in all of human history. As they are heading up the mountain, and Isaac starts getting suspicious. We got the fire, we got the wood, but I noticed something <laughs> a bit off. Normally, when we have these sacrifices, we have the fire and the wood and the lamb. This time, where's the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I saw a comic about this uh, a while back where it's the same interaction and Isaac's like, he's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering, comma, my son, comma. <laughs> but this is that moment Abraham has known from before he set out to go start chopping the firewood where this is heading. Isaac is maybe not finding out till they get to uh, the, the place where the altar is built and the wood is arranged before he realizes what's going on. Maybe he gets an idea earlier on. I don't know. Uh, I did hear someone uh, pointing out that in this conversation, you're like, think about what Abraham's emotional state would be as he's going up the mountain and how that's going to come across to Isaac. He said, because if you think about it, if you're going to be, um, you know this is coming, you're probably going to be an emotional wreck and wanting to just, you know, crying every step of the way kind of thing. He said, but if he does that, it's going to tip his hand to Isaac before they get there. And so he said, you know, who knows, but it's possible that Abraham is talking about anything and everything other than what's going on, trying to distract Isaac, but also trying to distract himself um, before they get to this moment. But that's Isaac who then interrupts and interrupts with the word father. Talk about a knife in Abraham's heart, right? And yet, yes, my son. They have this conversation, and in this conversation, I don't know 
what Abraham's thinking when he says God himself will provide the lamb? Is he thinking that, that down, you know, there will be a ram caught in the thicket? I don't know. I suspect he's looking at Isaac and understanding that he is the lamb that God has provided. And yet we see when he gets up there and the moment comes that his hand is stopped. And as we mentioned, it's because this is a way that Abraham has been displaying the character of God without even realizing it, maybe. As he shows the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice even his only son whom he loves. And we said, and uh, God says, don't, I don't, I don't want you to do that for me. I'm going to do that for you. When Abraham looks up and sees the uh, ram that's caught, he says, it names that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, where that mountain is, where God had called him to go, where he, um, where he took Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice, there are now buildings there. This is actually in Jerusalem. It is actually where Solomon built the temple. Uh, there is... Uh, currently a mosque there called Dome of the Rock. Guess what rock it is? It's where the altar was, uh, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, or nearly sacrificed Isaac. Um, But it's this Jerusalem and this whole sacrificial system that we see come into play, and it takes place there. And so it's like every sacrifice is kind of pointing back, that everyone was made in the temple, kind of pointing back to this time when uh, God provided a lamb in place of his people as a way of uh, covering for them and a way of redeeming their lives and also a way of pointing forward to the time when Jesus would be that sacrifice, when God would give his son, his only son, the one he loves for us, dying in our place. So what do we do with this? I mentioned before, the answer of what we go sacrifice our children is not the right answer. And in fact, when we look at uh, everything in light of Jesus now, say, well, it's not even go find lambs to sacrifice anymore, right? That's been done. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Paul tells us that actually the correct response is sacrifice. This is Romans chapter 12. After he has laid out just what God has done for us in giving Jesus for us. And after going through all that, in 1 through 11, he starts chapter 12 by saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Did you hear it? 
that call to sacrifice. But it's not for dead sacrifice. It's for living sacrifice. This is what Jesus refers to as that uh, taking up our cross daily and following him, that denying of ourselves. I was having a conversation with a friend recently uh, along the areas of fasting as a spiritual discipline, and he was talking about a time when he went um, for 21 days having given up multiple things, one of which was coffee, and my response, joking, but still... (laughs) My response was, 21 days without coffee, what's even the point of living? And, uh, <laughs> and, but the point is, like, that is such a small thing, and yet my knee-jerk reaction to that is, oh, what, how, how terrible would that be to go 21 days without, uh, without coffee? It's a silly thing. And yet, that's exactly uh, what we are called to do, is to lay down our own Uh, desires and wants and the things that we think we need to sacrifice those for God when they conflict with who it is that God is calling us to be and what it is he's calling us to do. That we are to be the people who reflect a God who makes sacrifices for us into this world. I mentioned at the beginning, this is a test that I hope that none of us you know, have to go through the same one as Abram has. And I don't think we will go through this same test because we're on this side of Abraham and because we're on this side of Jesus. This was not step one in Abraham learning to relate to God, but it's pretty early in the history of humanity kind of learning to relate to God in this way. But I do believe we all will be tested that God continues to bring tests into our lives. And by that, I don't just mean, you know, challenge and hardship, though that's often a part of it. What I mean is we walk with God for a while. We learn who he is and what he's like and what it looks like to, uh, to reflect his character rather than just operating by our own instincts. And then we learn this, and then we're given an opportunity to live that out in real life. That's the test. So it's not just knowing what that is, but it's actually living it, and the living it is the test. This was a test for Abraham. As I say, I hope we don't have that one, but you will have tests. Every test is an opportunity to trust God, to become more like God in the way that we reflect his character into every situation that we face. This might mean giving up uh, things that we tend to cling to. This might mean doing things we're not typically comfortable doing. Whatever it is, it is another step in our walking with God in relationship with him through Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.